Welcome to the Selling Without Sleeves podcast with me, Sarah Jolly Jarvis. I'm here to share with you real life stories from high performing salespeople and business owners, as well as my own insights and learnings around what's working well right now in the sales world, telling things like it is without the sleeves. So I'm here today with Holly Matthews, who's actress and owner of the Happy Me Project. So um, you are my first guest on the Inspiration Series. Oh so I'm really excited, which is a little bit awkward because I said at the beginning when we were talking before I pressed the record button that it was for people who, you know, are quite normal, who do I well. <laughs> I'm so normal, like it's ridiculous. I am just a normal human being who's done some really extra fun things. That's it. That is it. And yeah. I think that's, far, as we said, just before we did this, we were talking about this and saying it's far more inspiring in many respects because we can actually hear it, can't we? When it's a normal human where yeah. we can go, I can see a bit of myself in that person or I can, yes. you know, I can see that seems like my mate. I could, I can get on board with that. Like it's actually more inspiring because we can hear the message more than if it's, you know, somebody on this super big platform um, that feels completely unobtainable. Our brains can almost yeah. switch off from the message because then the limiting beliefs come in and we start going, well, it's not for people like me. That's people like them. And, and we, st- we start telling yeah. a different story. So I think it's great. I think there's like a line at some point where we kind of say, oh, well, that's them. You know, yeah. like they're just different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is, is I'm I'm in this series. I'm wanting to speak to people who they're not past that line. They're not, yes. you know, the, the massive CEOs of massive blue chip corporate floating on the stock exchange kind of companies yeah. there. Just, we're just regular people dealing with all the regular hassles, but you know they're they're doing well, yeah. and and it's finding those stories and finding that inspiration from them, so that actually this is normal and it is very achievable, and it's achievable with everything else that goes around in life, um, and it's just fitting it in and balancing those all together. So I am super super excited to have Holly with me today. Um, Holly, first of all, just give us a little bit of background because actress. I mean, that sounds exciting in it itself. Does. So just give us a little bit of how you got here. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd love to say it was a, a short journey, but it's not. I mean, I started the, I started my working world when I was 11, so a lot earlier than most people start working. I became a TV actress when I was 11, so, you know, coming from Newcastle, I started in a kids' TV show called Biker Grove, which was set in a youth club, and people of my age will probably remember it. It was Anton Deck, where they started their career, and Donna Eyre, and all the Geordie actors that you know will have started in there. Uh, what, what's his name? Jax Teller from from uh, Sons of Anarchy. Did Maybe. He, was he not, he not involved Probably. In if it, if he's from the Northeast, you will have been. I have no idea. I don't know who anybody is. So, But I have no <laughs> idea who anybody is. But it, at some point, I mean, it was on for about 22 years. So it was on a long time. And I was in it for yeah. seven of my, all of my growing up was on television. So thankfully there was no social media, but people still very kindly will tweet me pictures or Facebook me, tag me and stuff from that era. And these are pictures that you, your listeners probably will be able to hide in their parents' loft and never have to see again. Their awkward stage, their, their teenage years. Not for me, no, that's still out there in the world somewhere being shown and people like to tag me and things and I have to be like oh yeah that's fine and secretly I'm like will you not post those pictures for (laughs) the love of god um so yeah so I grew up on television and from my perspective you know I it's all I wanted to do I wanted to be in the entertainment industry I wanted to be an actress I wanted to pick up that Oscar and I was successful as an actress in that I was a working actress I left Biker Grove 
in, I don't even know when it was, but I was about 18 and I signed to Sony and then I record, I released a single as a singer, did Top of the Pops and MTV and did the whole, um, you know, the music scene for a time. That didn't work out, but in, in all honesty, it was a weird space for me because the, the, that side of things, I never really wanted to do. That wasn't the goal. It was kind of one of those moments where my character in Biker Rove was a singer and it happened in real life in the background that people approached me and I was taken to record execs and that kind of thing. And, and it was one of those times where you go, I'm just going to go and see where this goes. I'm going to go with it. There was no great, if I'm being honest, there's no great love in that world. I just can sing. And it was like, well, let's see what happens with it. A bit of pop singing. And it it did its, it ran its course. And then I went back into acting and went to drama school. Thought I would go and be a proper actor and get that tick in a box. Because at the time I... I was, you know, seen as a child actor and that was hard to get those, you know, get through those doors and that kind of thing. And then I left drama school. I was a dropout. I never finished drama school. I left before the first end of the first year because I kept sneaking off to do auditions. And then I did a TV show called Waterloo Road and Casualty and The Bill and then just started working in the industry and loved what I was doing. But on the other side, I hated not being in control of my own destiny. So I was always, I never had a proper job. I've never, you know, had a nine to five. I've never done that. I've always been basically Dell boy, just always doing something else to try and make money so I could get to auditions initially. And then as I started to get older, I started to realize, you know, there is actually something in this. I can control my own destiny by creating something else. And so there was no real thought process at the time. It was just, I'll just find lots of ways to sell a thing, do a thing that doesn't require anybody else to be in charge of my life. And Mm -hmm. then I became a mom. And when you become a mom, everything just goes. (laughs) You wanted to do what? Take control of your life? I mean, what was I thinking? I was to take control of my life. So I completely messed about with my life and had no control. Um, So I I became a mom. And then again, I just started to recognize like, you know, balancing the juggling, acting and the entertainment industry and auditioning. I was doing modeling and doing other stuff. And then I was doing, finding other ways to make money. So I would do promotional work. I would... My, me and my husband at the time were we were selling some t-shirts or something or there was always something that was being sold somewhere that's quite entrepreneurial isn't it where did that come from is that like is that parents no. is that family is that no do you know what genuinely and I if you, I, I feel like I'm one of the like I feel like one of these coaches that you hear online like Gary Vee talking about stuff like this but when I was a kid genuinely You would always see me. I lived in a working class Newcastle and you would always see me stood by the metro station. So I wear tube system. I was on that. I would (laughs) sit. This is weird. I'm telling you. We, you know, I was, we were free reign children in the nineties. Like we just ran, we ran about the streets. There was none of the curfews and stuff. We ran about the streets with our pals. And when I was a young kid, I would sit by the metro station and I would get, I would find stuff from home and I would sell it. And make money because I thought, well, that's where people are going to be. They're going to be getting off the train and there's the workflow. So five o'clock, everyone's getting off the train. And I would park myself there and I would just sell stuff that I found in the house. In fact, there was a corner shop next to me that was a, used to sell plants. And I would get all my pennies and I would buy plants from the shop. And I would mark them up and sell them on up the road from the plant shop. 
and sell them at the train station. Now, at the time, I wasn't actually, in fairness, I was being very lovely and I would often give it to charity. It was just more, it was more, it was less about making money myself and more about just the, the thrill of selling something. So there was definitely something that was there from being really young in terms of selling that I look, I mean, I've got no idea. My dad was a welder. My mum worked at a bank. I don't know where that came from. I think I just liked the idea of, of doing that and, you know, being able to. Did, did you watch a lot of Cowboys? I must have. <laughs> there must have been something there. But I never, yeah, so I, I, I was in the acting industry. And then in the background, you know, as an actor, you always... Um, you've always there's so many highs and lows in that industry there's so you have to have so much mm. resilience and I built an incredible amount of resilience during those years as an actor you know more, most notably being a, a child growing up on tv and going to normal school and having to navigate what that looks like the fact that I was the kid off the telly and that was hard it wasn't easy you know all of that stuff before social media was a thing. I was dealing with trolling when when it wasn't you know when it wasn't even we knew, didn't know what that was and so I was always working on self-development and, you know, there was not access like there is now. We didn't have the internet until later in my, you know, my teenage years. And, you know, we had Encarta, remember Encarta, like Encarta CDs. And I used to go to the library and get out like Paul McKenna CDs and listen to hypnosis and meditation. Again, I don't, it was, I don't, I can't pinpoint where it came from other than the fact that I just needed to feel better. I didn't want to feel so miserable. I was I was very much in my head and I spent a lot of my childhood feeling like an alien to my peers and and pretending to be how I thought I was supposed to be. And so I worked on self-development for such a long time. And then in 2014, my husband Ross was diagnosed with brain cancer and then subsequently died of brain cancer in 2017. And those two major factors, and obviously being a mom at the time and navigating all of that stuff that came with that, it meant that the work that I had done for myself in the background in terms of self-development suddenly became of, you know, certainly during his treatment stage, it became a viable mm. business because people started to come to me and ask how I was doing the stuff I was doing. How, what do you do day to day? How do you navigate? And I started to talk about it. And I started to, rather than before where I was an actress that would play a role, I started to show up on social media. I started to show up in the press and I, on radio and, and TV as myself and talking about my own personal experiences, which was something I never thought I would do. Like I thought that I, if somebody had asked me, you know, 10 years ago, if, if I'd be talking about my own story on podcasts and, and TV, I'd have thought, absolutely not. No, thank you very much. But it, that started <laughs> to happen. And like suddenly that became a, a business and then when Ross died it became was that because you were ex you were sharing the experience you were documenting your experience yeah I mean partly and then I think when so when Ross was diagnosed I'm an, a, a person who in times of trauma and difficulty I'm a doer I'm a person who needs to do I I always yeah. say I like to in times of difficulty I need to create not consume and I need to get off social media. I need to not be reading other people's stuff. I need to not take in other people's stories. And I need to create. And so I think it was my way of coping was, okay, well, I'll make this a thing. This will be a business. I'll, I'll do this as a business. And initially I was teaching confidence because confidence was something I had learned as an actor. I knew how to emulate confidence, but I also understood the limiting belief stuff that you have to work on, the underneath stuff in terms of your yeah. belief in yourself that I had done in my own life. And so I began to suddenly organically make this my work and and also because I couldn't act 
like I, I was my husband you know is going to treatment every he's having brain surgeries and chemo yeah. and all of that like I had when he was diagnosed I'd just finished doing um a few episodes of casualty which would had been a big storyline at the time and it was it was it had been seen a lot by a lot of directors and there was a lot of work kind of lined up for me I just booked a film and once he got that diagnosis I had this weird moment of clarity where I had no idea why I ever wanted to be in the acting industry and had no desire to ever do it again like it was a it's the weirdest feeling for somebody that that had been their one like my mind had been from being a child from being probably eight years old had been I'm gonna be an actress I am an actress that's what I'm doing and that's everything and when Ross was diagnosed there was this clear moment I remember where I was standing I remember I was stood in the hall of my house and I was coming in. I remember thinking I need to ring my agent and tell her to knock the film on the head and I, I can't be going to auditions and just thinking I've no idea why I cared about like my value system had changed so much I just didn't care yeah and it hasn't really changed back although I'm, I've been doing tv stuff and I've done I actually just did a, a comedy series recently um it's a different headspace that it is in now than it was before it just it's now just fun and because it creates a bigger audience but it was definitely a shift in my psyche in terms of my business and and how that started to grow and then when Ross died the happy me project itself came about again in, in an organic way in that there was a lot of press surrounding Ross's death so my obviously because of my acting background it was a storyline and it's you know journalists tick boxes and it was across the press and Ross's dad was a footballer so there was twofold of things going on there it was a you know human interest story and and I guess people you know Ross was 32 when he died so people look at that and go that could be my friend that it's it's it's, it's, it's yeah. too young it's time it's not the right time of things and and you know we you know a young family and I think people just saw themselves in it and so it was across the press and there was a you know paparazzi at the funeral and it it was a lot there was a it was a lot a very you know in terms of intensity and because of that there was obviously a lot of eyes on and a lot of people who either had gone through or were going through similar things to me or just were finding life hard and they were listening to me talk about my experiences and going how was she navigating that? I want to understand more about mindset and our brains and how that works. And so I found that loads of people were coming to me and messaging me. And obviously at that particular time, I wasn't in a space to really do any one-on-one coaching. I just wasn't in the headspace. It wouldn't have been right. And yeah. But I wanted to do something. So I initially put this 21-day course together as a, and I, it was it's 30 pounds. You can still get it at 30 pounds. It was a very basic course. And I just thought, I'm just going to do what did I wrote down, you know, my little notepad, I just journaled out, right, what, what do I do every day? What are the basic things that I do that help me to navigate this stuff? What is going to be the really like tangible stuff that people can do? And tangible's always been something that's in my mind. What is the actual thing? Not fluffy stuff that doesn't, you know, you, you don't want to hear when you're going through tough stuff. You want to hear, well, what can I do today? Actually do. Mm-hmm. And so I put that together. I pushed it out into the world with zero launch strategy or anything else. There was no <laughs> launch strategy. There was like, it's out. And then if anybody talked to me, I, um, you know, I could then push them towards that direction without feeling yeah. sleazy, without feeling that hard sell, because I would go, look, this is if, if you that my YouTube channel's free, go and have a look on there. But if that's you know, if you want something a bit more real and tangible and, and an actual course for you to go and do, go and have a look at this. There's audios, videos, there's a workbook for you to go through. Let me know how you get on. And I could kind of push in there without feeling like you know, it's a 
£1,997 course that you can do without it being that. It was just like it's 30 quid. If you can afford to that, if you can't, it's cool. My YouTube channel's free. There's stuff on there as well. It's just not as formulated as a course. Go and do that. And, and I pushed it out and suddenly within the space of a few months, I was watching hundreds and thousands of people begin to go and do the course. And I realized that I'd kind of hit on something in the in the mindset of making it something that's really basic I really believe that and I say this a lot self-development doesn't have to be fancy it doesn't have to be that you have to have a psychology degree to make it work in fact quite honestly most of us don't want to hear even my clients they don't want to I might get interested because I'm reading some neuroscience book and and I might be interested in that but most people don't want to know they don't actually care about the studies or the reasons they don't care they just want to know what can I do to not feel rubbish like that's all I want to know (laughs) give me some ideas and then and so everything that from that space came about because of that I then took that um work I took that to made it into a workshop and I did 16 sellout dates across the UK where I just took it in and every single part of this and I think this is important for people to know there wasn't this great massive plan there wasn't I formulated a plan around it over the time because I started to actually make sense of it but at the beginning there was a lot of throwing up shit at the wall and hoping some of it stuck (laughs) which some people call testing yes yes that's oh that sounds much nicer the way you've put that there so uh, but I think I think the thing is is though some people they create one thing and when that one thing doesn't work they're like oh nobody wants what mm. I do and I think that's the that's the thing and, and and that's been the kind of it's funny the way messages and and things you pick up on come in waves and conversations I have with clients they come in waves yeah. and it's and it's like there is a wave at the moment of just because something doesn't work in its current form doesn't mean that. And, and I've been doing some training with a, a lady over in the States and she was like, you know, we test all our um, all our headlines by doing um, clubhouse rooms. Ah. And she was like, and I test the headline and then I see which which headline gets the most people into the clubhouse room. Yeah. It's for the same thing. Oh, there you go, Holly. I'm not sure how I feel about clubhouse. Also, so. I'm not sure how I feel about clubhouse. I've, I've I've taken it off my phone. I was I used it at the beginning. I got on the whole clubhouse hype and I was in every room. And then I realized there's a whole heap of absolute Billy Big Bananas chat on there that I can't deal with. And I ended yeah. up, felt I felt like it was a really negative space that I felt like I would be on there purely, I would stay in a clubhouse room purely to get on stage to just con- just contradict something I just heard somebody say that wasn't actually the truth. And that's such a negative thing to do. And I thought, this is not healthy. <laughs> this isn't really unhealthy. I'm space. not I'm not good with that. If somebody, uh, that would be, yeah, I've been in one, one, one room once um and um and 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 for me I'm not because I I can't ironically I can't capture audio like I you never know quite what's going to come out so Mm. when clients send me messages you when you sent me messages Mm. I'm like I have to make sure no one else is around because I'm not quite sure what this person's going to say oh I'm I'm not the person you put on loudspeaker like I'm not so I should have that warning this is true and if you've got kids in the house this is true as well isn't it yeah I think um I think that's really good what you said though about testing because I, I think because I've I've come from a space of my work has really 
grown as I've grown as a human. And I think what can happen to you if you come into business in this way, so you haven't, you know, I didn't, I haven't got a degree. I haven't got a degree. I haven't gone mm. to university. That doesn't mean I'm stupid. I read the books they've read in the degree course. I just I haven't got the paperwork. Oh God! I don't think I'd waste your time no. on some of the books I no, read. No, I'm sure there's some rubbish. <laughs> but you know, like, I, I, you can do. There's not one route, and this is really important for people to understand. That doesn't mean that I don't have the learning. It doesn't mean I haven't done courses. It doesn't mean I haven't done that. But I've done it in a different way. And I think what can happen in that space, especially in business, is that there's almost this snobbery of um you know it, it should be done in this way and you can then internalize that and it can create and we were just talking a little bit about this before it can create an imposter syndrome and there was definitely for me along my journey where I went from being an actress where I really felt comfortable in that space I'd done that for a long time I was very well versed in who I was as an actor but in a business I didn't really class myself as a businesswoman for until very recently and um, and that's been something that has I've had to really work on. And I think actually the the world has shifted in that as well, which has helped. Yeah. Because when I first, you know, jokes aside about me being a Dell boy, like when I was first doing acting and I was, you know, always doing some kind of entrepreneurial thing, whatever it was, it was always something that I was doing. When I was doing that, I very much was told and felt like a jack of all trades, master of none. And actually, when I sit with that now and I look back, I'm like, I wasn't a master of none. And I had created this story for myself. And it was only very recently, only a couple of years ago, when I caught myself out saying this and thought, that's not a helpful story for me. And what I was saying is, I'm just winging it. I'm just winging it. And I thought that was fine. Like, I was like, oh, it's just, you know, colloquial, like, just chat. I'm just winging it. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. Instead, relax. And then I thought to myself, is that true? Because I don't, I I know what I'm, I know how I want my life to look. I know what my values are. I know what's important to me. I know what money I want in the bank. I know how I want to feel. There's nothing winging about. I'm not messing about. I know exactly where I'm going. I don't always know the route, not always the exact route. And that's where your testing comes in. But I really did work on it. And then it's so funny because last year during, I think during lockdown, I often get asked to speak on, I mean, I speak regularly on the BBC and um, somebody sent me a, a journalist request just asking, um, they were looking for somebody who had done really well during the pandemic and their business had, had effectively my limited company started in the pandemic. I was self-employed for a lot longer, but the limited side of things I had just done in the pandemic. So it's effectively a new business. And so a business who done really well during the pandemic and they wanted somebody to come and talk, business woman being the operative word. And so I dropped the the BBC lady a message, you know, bearing in mind, I do this all the time. Like I, I speak every week on the BBC. So it wasn't a, an unusual thing for me to do. I didn't even consider it. I got a message back from this lady and I promise you, I was triggered. I was so, I was clutching my pearls with triggered. Um, she messaged back and she said, actually, we need a business, we need a businesswoman. And I was like, all of the old stories of jack of all trades, master of none, just winging it. You're not a businesswoman. You haven't got a business degree. So you're not a businesswoman. All of those. And I was like, I had to step back from writing back because I wanted to be like, what do you mean? Um, And I thought a little bit harder about that. And so I responded back saying, I have a limited company that brings in money every month. And it is a business. That is a business. And it has been successful during the time period. <laughs> and I am a female. So a business woman. I think 
<laughs> that ticks the boxes. Uh, You've got a business and I've got the anatomy. It's, it's so. the two, it's the two, it feels like the, the right things there for what you were looking for. And, um, you know, she came, she did apologise and she came back and said she was looking for, I guess, traditional businesses in terms of, she wanted me to wear a suit, basically. That's what she wanted that. Um, so, but it was interesting because... I think that's really important that the times have changed and we're seeing people who've even been pushed into business that weren't in business before. And I think it's so important what you were saying there and how that messaging is coming up for you that there's not one route to this. There's not, there's so many different routes and there's so many different styles of business. And you can almost have, you know, shiny object syndrome where you start watching what everybody else is doing, your head spins because there's so many different strategies and ways and that. Should I do membership? Should I do courses? Shall I sell this? Shall I do in person? Shall I get offline? Should I stay? I mean, your head spins. You've really got yeah. to work out. And I, you know, I, I still have to check in with myself with this. And, and I guess that testing happens organically without me having a name for it. Uh, my description was less than um, attractive. Um, but I think that happens anyway and I, I think we just have to keep checking in with ourselves is this does this sit with my values um because you know we we talked about this before we were recording but you know it's not success isn't just marked by the money and the pay you know that yeah. it just isn't and, and we can yes it's a tangible easy thing for us to go that person is successful on paper they have money in the bank but it has to be the balance. Yes, we want money, but we also want a life that doesn't mean we're burnt out and, and we, we're not enjoying the money that we have. Otherwise, what's the point in making the money? You know? Exactly. And I think that's the thing is, is we were we were talking before we came in there about the fact that, you know, you talk six and seven figures, but actually when I read about people who are doing that, I'm like the level of sacrifice involved, you know, what they have to compromise for that. And and that's the thing is, is actually you want your race, you're running your race, you're running it at your pace in, in, in the way that you want in the surroundings that you want. And I think that's the key thing is, is actually it's about the journey, not just about the destination. Yeah. And if that journey is going to be ridiculously painful, if it's going to be fraught with burnout and late nights and missing children's things. And I've um, <laughs> I've moved an entire in-person event to go to my daughter's nativity. I adore day. that. And, uh, I adore that. And I told the t- I told the team and I was like, yes, I have just moved the entire thing for the promise of a nativity play. Because it does get worse. They haven't actually confirmed we'll be able to be there because of COVID. So there's the potential that we'll be able to be there. Because that's what's important. Ultimately, that's that's what's important to you. And I think that, and also on the flip side of that, even as a parent, if you don't care about that, it's okay to be honest with that like it's okay that that doesn't matter to you because maybe there's another way that you and your family make things work and that's okay and honestly I I really lack a lot of you know the judgment I had maybe in my younger days now because I just think we're all going to be going through really difficult stuff in our lives whatever that looks like and we have to we have to sit with ourselves. We have to, when we go to bed at night, it's me I'm sat with. And I have to make sure, did I work hard enough today in my, you know, that sits well with me. Did I connect with my family, my loved ones? Do I feel yeah. like I've had space? You know, I was speaking to a lady yesterday who was uh, in business, doing really well. And we'd both done a similar course, a business course with somebody. And, and neither of us really kind of felt connected to it. It was very, um, I guess, the, the Gary V of old principle of just be everywhere and do everything all of the time and never switch off and that was you know just hustle just hustle just basically hustle 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 
hustle some more and show up and show up consistently. And I've really, um, really got bored of hearing be consistent. And as somebody who has ADHD, which means my life is rarely consistent, I've come up with something that I heard an ADHD coach um, say, and I, I love it. And I repeat it a lot because I think it lets us off the hook a little bit. I don't believe that we can be as consistent. I, I, re- I think we can rarely be consistent, but what we can be as persistent. We can be persistent and we can persistent. we can show up and be persistent as much as we can. And there are some days when we're not going to be as consistent as we'd like to be. And you know what? That is OK. I think we can be so hard on ourselves about oh, I'm not consistent. Or, I didn't record the thing. I didn't do the thing. I forgot. I dropped the ball. You know, we're doing our best. And, you know, certainly the world as it is and as it has been over the last two years We've not only been navigating business and home life and everything else. There's been a global plague. So, you know, we've got to be kind to ourselves <laughs> and recognize we weren't expecting that. So, you know, yeah. I wasn't. And, and the thing is, and, you know, on top of that, you've got the fact that actually, you know, does it does it matter? Does it matter if you're not consistent? Like if, if you're not naturally consistent, if, if consistency makes you ridiculously unhappy, then do you want to do that? You know, yes, I acknowledge the fact that actually maybe I won't get to where I want to get as quickly as I, I could if I was consistent. Fine. But am I going to be happier? Am I going to have, you know, <laughs> a better life on the journey to that place? Yeah. Um, or, you know, and the thing is, you, you're potentially chasing something that are you going to get there? You know, what, what, what does that, it, it's like, you know, the part, the end of the rainbow, is it just going to keep moving? Is it going to keep changing, time. evolving anyway? So, you know, you don't want to, I say to, I say to my husband quite often, which is a little bit morbid, I get, but um, I say like, actually one of these days, it's going to be your best day. Yeah. And I don't want to spend my best day thinking about what I don't have or what I want to have. 100%. And I think 100%. that's the thing is, is you never know. You know, like, you you just don't, you know, I, when I look at my life and when Ross died, I, we had no idea that was going to happen. That wasn't in the plan. That wasn't in the plan. And when Ross died, I really remember it being a case of me thinking, like, not long after his death and me trying to assess where I was at and me thinking, if I, the world that I knew had Ross in it, that was the world that made sense to me. And if Ross isn't in this world then nothing else makes sense either. And so I have to go into this new stage of my life with an open mind of, I know nothing. I know nothing. And I can start fresh. I can let go of judgment of myself, of others, of what business should look like, of the perfect launch strategy and how this is going to... And I can let go of all of that. And I can go, how is this going to work for me? And how can I navigate this without shame or judgment on myself and how I get there? And you're right in that most of our goals, you know, most of us have a bigger picture goal that is large. Big picture goal is large. And it can be, you know, it can almost be, you know, a goal where you go, I've got no idea how I'm going to get there, really. Like that feels so stretched for me. And that's okay because actually the more important factor isn't, actually achieving the goal it's who you've got to become to get there it's who you as a person have got to be what have you got to learn who what strength of character have you got to build to get you to that next stage that actual journey is far more important and if we skip that because we're just so blinkered on until I'm there I'll be happy when if your goals are in the space of I'll be happy when I promise you won't get there because and, and along the way you'll be miserable and then you'll get that or you'll hit that one of those goals and you'll go it wasn't enough 
it, it's still, yeah. I still nothing. I know I've had that. Yeah. I've had yeah. that. I've had clients saying to me, I want, I want to get a six figure business. And so we've, and they've, and they've achieved mm-hmm. it. Whilst they've been working with me, we've got them up to the, you know, six figures at a month mark, um, you know, the equivalent of, so, you know, your eight grand, whatever it is, um, a month to get you up to whatever they're after. And, um, and, you know, you're going through that process. And then actually, and I had, I had a lady who she did that. She was obsessed. Yeah. I want, I want a six figure business. I want a six figure business. That's all I want. And then you get them, you get them, yeah. you work them towards yeah. that six-figure business. And she was just like, "Wow, this isn't very fulfilling." And like, honestly, she was so deflated. Yeah. She was the realization that actually, because it's a number, just a number, and it's like even if, even if you attach value to that number, then you're still in that position where, you know, I, I'm always like, "Oh, if I won the lottery, mm. if I won the lottery, what would you do? I could probably spend, you know, three to five million reasonably easily." And then after that, I've run out of stuff that I'd actually buy. You it's know, like, so true. You just haven't got that never-ending shopping list. We haven't. And that's the thing is, is then then what you do? What when's the fulfilment then? And I think that's what they were after was they they thought their fulfilment was at the end of this rainbow. And They'd that number, be- that that sort of oh, that number that felt unobtainable. I would often say that when I'm working with clients because I I do work do a lot of one-on-one stuff with clients who are mostly female entrepreneurs, and it's more on the mindset stuff and getting their businesses seen, not the strategy of business as such, but. And a lot of them will come to me with the six figures and want to do the six figures and I'd blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I'll say, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> and they're like, they're almost taken aback by that. And I'm, but what, for what reason? Yeah. What will you do when you get six figures that you can't do now? And I've had clients that have then tried to articulate that and realize they could already do the stuff they wanted. And then they don't, then it really spins them out because then they're like, that means I'm living my dream life. <laughs> I don't know what that means then. I don't know what I want. Yeah. And, it, and then they're not chasing. And then yeah. you're not chasing. And it's like, oh, I haven't got the chase. And I think I think that's one of, one of the other clients that got to that figure. And they were like, they stopped chasing. And actually their natural position in life was chasing. Mm. And as soon as they stopped chasing, they literally, it was like an effort to get out of bed. You know, like they just basically switched off. It was just like... There's nothing to chase. There's no. There's no purpose then, and it is really weird what motivates us as people. Um, and and so you know, and I think that's the thing is, is it's equipping yourself so you have that choice. If you've got that skill set, if you've got that ability, you can choose then to pursue it. And you know, if it, if it takes a level of sacrifice, and that's a certain level of sacrifice you're not prepared to do, then that's the choice. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is, is it's it's feeling like oh well, that isn't obtainable to me because of this this and this. Actually, take ownership of it, and actually it's it's if you if if you're not prepared to do that that's okay there's nothing wrong with that however let's just face up to the fact that it's it's personal it's personal responsibility always and and personal responsibility and choice and not getting so dragged into other people's versions of what that could look like and and we're so kind of it's so so much you know information overload right now where you can get access to other people's stuff constantly that it's so easy to get sucked into what that's supposed to look like but you know the shoulda woulda couldas of all of the you know the things that we think about it just 
we've just got to zone back it doesn't, bring, does it in? doesn't bring any good does it doesn't no. it doesn't it doesn't help so as far as so what was the what's the aim what's your aim now what would you what, you know if, if I was to be like what what do you want to achieve in the next year what do you want to achieve in the next three years what what would it be so the bigger picture goal for me is the happy me happy me tv so I do want to go back into the tv world and happy me tv I start my youtube channel has just changed its name to that and I will focus a little bit on that although I got a bit bored with youtube just I couldn't be bothered with it I just I got bored with it I've done I've done pretty well on youtube over the years but i need to revamp it um but i want to go back into tv because i want to impact on a wider scale in terms of what i do i've realized that the world has changed in terms of self-development and that more and more people that would never have considered it before especially with how we've dealt with the last two years need it and i've seen people gravitate towards me that wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards the the standard people in the world of self-development because it feels yeah. a bit woo-woo. It feels a bit, you know, sage in the house and chanting over crystals. And it's just not for everybody, you know? Nothing wrong with that. My, no, I've just, my, that, my no. kids love crystals. I've just bought them some crystals for Christmas. They love it, right? But it's not for everybody. And, and my way of, of no. delivering stuff is very direct. It's very, you know, working class Northern. And I will do it in a way that will make some of the, the high level psychology stuff really simple and, and something that we can do that's a, a real tangible low hanging fruit that we can do and and that, that's so for me the bigger picture is the tv show because I want that because I know I can reach more people now I'm not sure whether that at this stage I, I'm, I'm still sort of I've said this recently but I'm almost fermenting in my mind the ideas around that there's a lot of stuff that I'm, is, is coming to the table for me in terms of tv other people's projects and I'm kind of looking at how I want the TV show to look which is why I haven't just put it out there yet it will likely probably be one of the online Netflix or Amazon type things in my mind right now um, but I want something on that global scale I also want to do more of my workshops but just bigger so that I can again from my own personal life perspective so me and my daughters can go different interesting places and meet interesting people I love surrounding myself with gritty um human beings that have been through some stuff and come out the other side it interests me it always has like even as an actor I was always interested by the ones that had kind of scrapped their way to the top like I remember yeah. I remember reading Jerry Halliwell's autobiography which I'm sure she didn't write um and 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 you know I'm not saying that Jerry not that we know either way but <laughs> I don't think she did but um I remember reading it and it was the first time I read something where similar to what we're talking about it felt like something a normal person could do like she got to, whether you like the Spice Girls or not right they were a global phenomenon at their time and they were you know multi-millionaires they made money off apparently kids study them in history now is that true oh my god that makes us feel old doesn't it that's terrifying <laughs> but when I read when I read her autobiography and it was all about, you know, she'd done modeling jobs and acting things. And she was a little bit older, I think, than the, the other girls in the group at the time, although I think they played down how old she was compared to the other girls. But it was, when I read that, I loved the grittiness of how she'd kept getting back up. And I really remember that sticking with me. Yeah. In fact, when I first was acting, I always used to say, I'm going to do lots of weird jobs outside of acting because it will make me more interesting as an actor. And I promise you, I'll tell you another time, there's been many things that I've done that have been weird. <laughs> Um, but it was always an interesting story. So I want a bigger picture for the Happy Me Project. Happy Me TV. My book comes out next year. 
I'm probably not supposed to speak about it, but I keep mentioning it because I'm impulsive. So it's coming out next year. That's going to be massive. <laughs> you haven't said its name, so it'd be all right. It's okay. You haven't given too much away, I'm sure. I'm going to get slapped on the wrist off the marketing team, aren't I? Don't tell everybody. Just, shh, just everybody keep it quiet, right? I didn't say anything about it. But anyway, that so more books. I want to, you know, I've enjoyed the process of writing, although it's been really challenging to keep my brain still enough to write um but i found a way of writing that works for me and so more books more just everything on a bigger scale i love what i do and it's always about how can i keep it no nonsense and simple for people and so the more reading that i'm doing i'm almost filtering it through my sweary northern brain into something that makes sense for the every man and woman out there who needs what i'm talking about and, and essentially and i said this before we started but i say that my job is to help people feel more happy and less crappy and whatever that okay. looks like that's it it's good isn't it i like that i like that as a yeah i like it so right when what is your because we could talk all day okay. and i'm really conscious that you know we will. <laughs> we've got other stuff to do um but two more questions okay so when was or when do you think your made it moment will be what does it look like Okay. Chat. Have you made it? Mm, I've had moments of feeling like I've made it. I've had moments of, ooh, that feels good. But then I've also done what we've said where I've they haven't been enough. So I remember signing to Sony, sat in this record exactly. Everyone's cheering champagne and all of that, me signing on that dotted line. And I remember feeling nothing, nothing. Oh, nothing. really? I just felt nothing. I'd have felt a bit sick, I think. I just felt nothing. <laughs> I just felt like I've done nothing to warrant this. This is cheering. Why is everyone clapping? Oh, really? So I've had loads of really big successes in my life where I felt like, probably on paper to other people, they would go, whoa, you've done some big stuff. And I, I know that as a reality, but it hasn't, I think I felt, I feel much more, this is going to sound a bit woo-woo to say aligned, but I feel more aligned with where I am right now. Like I, I feel more purpose-driven when I'm helping people to live a life that feels good to them and so I don't know if I do you ever feel I don't know if you ever feel like you've made it because I think then you've stopped growing so I don't know if I will but I will once I sit down with Oprah and chat to Oprah <laughs> about the Happy Me project um she best not get too old that'll be gonna be fuming if she retires before I've sat down to have a chat with her I need to hurry up because I want to chat with Oprah about the Happy Me project I don't know if it'll really, I don't know if she'll really get it, but, you know, whether it transpires. So Apparently, she's amazing to be interviewed by, isn't she? Well, I'll find out when I am, so, and I'll let you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know if I, if, uh, if I get there before Okay, you. yeah, <laughs> when we're sat down with Oprah. So, if I, when I sit down with Oprah, and I do think about this, talking to Oprah about the Happy Me Project, that will feel quite heady and, like, exciting. But, the big, you know what, TV show, the TV show would feel like a, I've done that. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, even like, you know, when you, you put things, I put things on my wall of how I want it to look. And, you know, it's probably not done in its, the proper way or whatever. Um, and I put things up there. How, isn't, isn't the way that works for you the proper yes. way? And so I put yeah. at the top of my, my pyramid of ideas of how I would get there. So I at the top was Happy Me TV. And then my next level of was how do I become an expert to get that? And the, the, one of the things was get a book deal with a big top publisher. And I didn't have a clue how to do that. I was like, well, that sounds and like it. And I did it. And then the other ones were things like workshops around the country. So I've had, I don't know how many now, 18 
sell out workshops now that's ticked in the box create a, a, plat a membership or platform and that's new the membership the happy me membership is now out but again these were ticks because i wanted to create that i am an expert in what i do which feels uncomfortable for us to say because expert feels like you should know everything but you're an expert if you know the most in most rooms in reality and so that would yeah, TV, I'm going to say TV show. When I get the TV show. And, and I, think, I think the most in most rooms and you're willing to listen and, and learn more. And that. I think yes. when you sit down and you go, you know what, I'm done. Oh. That's when actually that that's the dangerous place to be in. You know, like if you're constantly growing, if you're constantly evolving, then actually, yeah. Agreed. It, it's, you know, it's enough. As long as you can add, you can add to people's lives, then surely that makes you more expert. Absolutely. Um, and last but not least, okay, so... What do you think your superpower is? What do you think has helped you to get where you are? One thing. Absolutely resilience. Like my superpower is to take something bad and find the good. Like I, I know that. I will take, you can give me the shitter situation you've gone through and I will find the good around it. I'll find the lessons. I'll find the something that was good that came out of it. That is my superpower over and over again. Like I am a hopeful human being, whatever happens. And I've been through and go through some stuff that I know that people will would describe as a nightmare and I will cry and do all of the normal human things and then I will get back up and I think that's a superpower to have that level of resilience I think that is too I, it's really weird because I've always been my thing is to always find the good in in even the worst of situations yeah. and I haven't and sometimes I've had to look really yeah. hard. um but um but to, to try I don't think I can I definitely can't say I, I can't, you know, I, I always do and I always can, but even just trying guys, like definitely is, is a really, really good, healthy way to definitely. respond. There's not, you won't you always, know, you, you won't always see in the moment what that is. So don't, you know, don't expect of yourself when you're, you know, when I was watching my husband die in the hospice, it wasn't easy to find the good around that, but I still did. Like I still was able to go, I'm so glad he's in a hospice. I'm so glad we have people around for support. I'm so glad we had that time together. That doesn't mean that you look at the situation of my husband dying or brain cancer and go, oh, that's great. Because of course that's not great, that's shit. But you but you can look and go, there's good around it. It's just science. For every yeah. positive, there's a negative. That's how science works. And so for every awful time, it doesn't mean you want it to happen. It doesn't mean that it's good that it happened because that's ridiculous and certainly don't offer up that advice to anybody. But for yourself, your own being able to move forward, I always just say, just keep walking to the next good thing because there will be something. And know it's hard when you're clawing your way out of the, the tough times, but you can take that one step and that can just pull you forward and that might just get you to the next good thing. And and it's that's what it's about. It's not about perfecting it. It's not about being stoic or any of those things because some days are crap and it's okay if they are. You just have to get back up and try the next day and, and, and ultimately that's all it is. Just keep going, guys. Well, thank you so much, Holly. Um, it has been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything. If people want more Holly Matthews, where can they go? I am hollymatthews.com slash all my stuff. That's it. It's that simple. <laughs> or if you type in Holly Matthews into Google and you can't find me, then Google is broken and you must phone somebody because I'm there. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you tweet me pictures of myself as a child, I'm going to be fuming. Or laugh. I'll probably laugh. <laughs> if you tell me you came from this podcast, I'll laugh. So, there you go. But otherwise, you'll be, be cross. So cool. <laughs>
<laughs> so it's like it's like a photos of your childhood amnesty if you're going to do it guys do it do now it. and then just blame the podcast exactly. Exactly. <laughs> do it now you've been given the chance do it now and if you do you know a few months time no i'll be feeling <laughs> oh thank you so much love <laughs> thanks for listening to the selling without sleeves podcast if you enjoyed this episode please head over to itunes or stitcher or wherever you're listening from to leave us a review It's a good way for us to know what you like so we can create more of it.